Well, greetings and salutations. It is uh, McCowan here. It's Shannon there, and the uh, program commences for uh, yet another day. What, you were about to say something before you took a sip of your coffee? I just greeted you. I just said, Robert. Oh, I did not hear you. It's because of that crappy internet you have. Um, which, by the way, you should you should repair in some way, shape, or form. You are a, you're a guy who has been involved in the technical aspects of. No, I am not. I'm not a technical guy at all. I'm, you know, well, that, you reminds, were... that reminds me of a story. So I, I get I get <laughs> I get hired by by your pal Gary um, to be the uh, vice president Batman, of broadcasting. I assume I have I have several friends named Gary. There, you only have one pal gary that i would say gary like wow um so, so i was hired by gary um my friend to uh, <laughs> uh to to run the broadcast department um which was a, a philosophical thing that you know you deal with the rights holders how to improve their broadcasts uh how to make sure that uh, camera positions are in the right spot uh how to make sure that content is uh, properly created it was, a, it was a complex job. It was a fun job. I loved it. Uh, <laughs> the third day on the job, though, I, I got a phone call. Hello, John. Yeah. Bill Torrey. Hey, Bill, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm really happy that you're back with the league. I said, oh, thank you very much. And, and then, he said, <laughs> then he says, listen, you're the vice president of broadcasting, right? I said, yeah. He says, I got a problem with my satellite dish. <laughs> can, can you find a way to fix my satellite dish? So seriously, said, well, Bill, oh yeah, this is a true story. So, so the next thing, you know, um, I got another phone. Hey, hello, John. Yeah. Bob Pulford. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hi, Bob. How are you? Congratulations on the uh, job. I said, Oh, what's up? He said, I said, I got a problem with my satellite dish. Um, <laughs> now these two, these two buggers, <laughs> Pulford and Tory live side by side in Florida. They are neighbors. <laughs> next thing, you know, and it takes about three or four months. Next thing you know, I'm on a trip to Florida. And I get a phone call. Hey, hey John, it's Bill. I hear you're in Florida. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm in Florida. Can you come over to the house and fix the dish? <laughs> I get in the car. Bob, it's a true story. I get in the car. I drive over to Tori's house. Pulford's next door. I'm on a ladder. Come on. I'm wearing a suit. I, no, no, no. I'm, I'm on a ladder. I pull something. I said, here's your problem. I put it off. The ladder goes back and I fall 20 feet back onto the grass. Now, Tori thinks I'm dead. Tori thinks I'm dead. You can well, see it you in weren't. his eyes. <laughs> no. And, and I turned to him and I says, this is what a vice president does at the National Hockey League? <laughs> well, it's what a, a vice president does when he's trying to suck up to a couple of general managers. Oh, no. Who well, have they, 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 oh, they have were to legends. Be. Come on. I mean, okay, <laughs> I, I get it. But honest to goodness, you got a problem with your satellite dish. You call the vice president of broadcasting. Oh, yeah. The National That's what Hockey they did. League. That's what they did. Oh, you yeah. don't call your satellite company. You don't call Dish Network or whatever. Anyway, that's one of my favorite Bill Torrey stories. What a couple of bozos. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm not sure if they're dumber than you are for not only Just, responding to them, they're but my friends. going to their house, getting on a ladder, and climbing up on the roof. In a suit. In a suit, not in a suit. Either way. <laughs> True story, though. Can't make it up. 
Uh, well, Harry Sinden lives in Harry Sinden lived in the cul-de-sac too. So the, oh, he, did he, he these three? Of, the, no, <laughs> he had cable. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't call you about that. I mean, it's oh, television, oh. you know. Oh. Well, that, that's uh, some, sometimes. It, sometimes that's the things that happen. Now, so given that, John. Yeah. Um, you know, I have this uh, big ass theater in my basement. Oh, I've been there, Bob. It's very impressive. With uh, the 135 inch, whatever it is. Yes, screen. Bob, we know, Bob, we know. Right. Screen envy. Everybody has screen envy. Yeah. It's not working, John. Really? There's a problem. You know what? And, and I actually <laughs> tried to address it the other day <clears throat> because I yeah. had some people here and, and, um, they wanted to see. The oh, you were going to watch a movie. They want to. No, watch no they just wanted to see the theater. Oh, can you put the, and the screen? You know, goes up into the ceiling. So I, 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 I said, well, uh, sure. And I clicked the button, and nothing happened. The screen didn't come down. So I get up. One of the things that occasionally happens is you have to unplug the projector and then plug it back in. At least, yeah. I sort of thought that. Nothing. So would you mind coming over? I'm busy. No, no, uh, you're not obviously not that busy. Because clearly you uh -uh. are. Did you fix, by the way, did you fix Tori's um, um, uh, satellite dish? Satellite? What do you think? What do you think? Well, you pulled a wire off and then you fell off the ladder. No, it was a, That's all I know. Yeah. His satellite dish started to work damn well, man. And pulleys? And we had a problem with pulleys still. <laughs> So that means that means Pulley was mad at me and Tori was happy. So yeah. I, I'm astounded. Well, now, now I'm astounded actually, that the two problems weren't connected, given they live side by each. Well, you thought they'd have the same same dish and be cheap on the uh, fees. Well, I mean, you got two you got two guys call you who live side by side in Florida and both have problems with their dishes. No, but you but I'm, you know I'm exactly guessing. what happened. You know exactly what happened. Oh, They're well, both yeah. having trouble. Yeah, and Tori, Tor and Tori to told right. So yeah. I called Shannon. He'll fix it. <laughs> but you won't come to my house to fix my no that's not a television problem bob it's a television i would have told you to do exactly what you did just take the pull it out count to 10 plug it back in yeah i did that it didn't work no okay oh well not the end of the world i suppose uh two days ago we had um all right here we go again wayne gretzky Arguably the greatest hockey player, male hockey player of all time. Not arguably. Program. Yes, arguable. And today we have inarguably the greatest female woman hockey player of all time. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. Argument? Is there an argument here? I, I think we might hear from a couple of our American friends that uh, there might be somebody, but I don't think so. I think Haley is uh, by far uh, the best. Although Marie-Philippe Plan right now is pretty good. We should ask Haley. Well, I mean, you know, that, that puts her on the spot, you know, to, she's not, got, she's no, not going to say herself. No. Okay. Like if okay. I asked, if I asked people who the best vice president of, of <laughs> broadcast for the National Hockey League I know two guys are on my side. <laughs> well, at least one. The other guy you didn't yeah. say. Oh. You know, I mean, it's that kind of a question. I'm not going to ask her that. We have plenty of stuff to talk about with um, the legendary Haley Wickenheiser. 
who either is or is about to become a doctor. Well, I'm going to cut by the end of the show. I'll be calling her doc. So I think she graduates this week. Yeah, I think you're right. From med school. University of Calgary. I assume she'll go into uh, an internship yeah. and uh, proceed from there. Uh, so uh, without further ado, well, there will be some ado because we're going to take a quick break. And then uh, Haley Wickenheiser on a whole variety of topics, and she's got plenty to say, I don't doubt, uh, when uh, the podcast continues uh, also on uh, Saga 960 Radio after these messages. Uh, it's Bob McCowan. It's uh, John Shannon on the program uh, for this uh, this day. Um, it, it, it's uh, I, I always read an intro to um, our guest. This one's going to take some time. I don't know if we're going to have time to chat, Haley. So just relax. Uh, Twenty-three years a member of the uh, Canadian national team, four-time Olympic gold medal winner, member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. Oh, it just goes on and on and on. It's blah, not... blah, 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 blah. What else have you done? Come on. What have uh, you done lately? Assistant director of player development for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, Whoa. and Whoa. and I, I, I don't know where you're at with your studies now. Uh, we can't call you doctor yet, can we? Or can we? Um, I suppose you, you could on, I guess, officially May 12th, but I'm done. So, yeah. <laughs> May 12th. Uh, so, well, that's not very long, you know, less than a week away. Um, and then, and then what, what, what's the next step for you? Internship? Uh, you call it, it's residency, which is essentially specialized training of what you, what you want to do with medicine. And, and, and you know where you're going to go for that? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing my residency in Toronto so I can continue to work with the Leafs and, and do my job there and be, be at the rink a bit more, um, more often. And it's been a, it's been a tough year because of uh, every time commuting from Calgary to Toronto, as I, I have been doing the last few years with pa the pandemic, every time you want to go into the rink, it's an eight day quarantine. So it's been a long, it's aye, been aye, a long go. Yeah. And is it, is it accurate that you just got your COVID shot like uh, a couple of weeks ago recently? Uh, no, I got, I was, I am fully vaccinated, but I guess I got my second shot in, in mid-March. So, um, so, so, so let's, let's, uh, while we're on the topic of vaccination, uh, for those people who are watching this show, uh, you are wearing your, yes. um, promotional t-shirt to say, Hey, everybody should get vaccinated. So here's your platform, Haley, go. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is our shot. I mean, many people may be familiar with um, what we did with Conquer COVID, uh, you know, last year when we needed PPE in this country quite badly. So this is sort of uh, the second iteration of the, the second biggest need in the pandemic right now, which is really the only way we're, we're, at, we're going to get out of this is to get um, probably 70, 80% of our population plus vaccinated. And so uh, what it is, is I think people right now are tired of talking to, or of listening to politicians and governments. There's been a lot of push and pull and mixed messaging. So we got together with a group of grassroots Canadians, which includes uh, a lot of Canada's top doctors, um, stars like Michael, Ren uh, Mike, uh, Michael Buble, Ryan Reynolds, Sarah McLaughlin, um, athletes, Olympic athletes, you know, all sorts of folks. And, uh, and just to, to say, this is our shot that we get one shot to get out of this pandemic, encourage folks to get their vaccines like we've all done. 
and try to get around uh, some of the myth busting around the vaccines and uh, just provide facts. So we've done one town hall already. And yesterday we partnered with uh, Facebook and Labatt's and some of Canada's top uh, corporations to really expand this even wider um, and get maximum coverage uh, and messages to as many people as we can. So there are there are two there are two lines of thought here. There's 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 the group over here says, well, I'd I'll I'd love to get my vaccine, but a, a we're in Canada and we seem to have a, sort, a shortage. That's the perception. Yeah. And there's that other group on the other side. They're they're putting elephant dung in my blood. I don't want anything to do with this. So uh, so how do you how do you address both of those people that are chiming at you? Right. So I think on the first, uh, the first side, which is not enough vaccines, I think uh, that has been true. And, and in some areas of the country, um, you know, vaccine availability is not equal. Um, we know that in the month of May, there's about seven, eight million more doses of vaccine coming into the country. So we think by the end of May, every Canadian should have a chance to get a vaccine if they want one. Um, so that's, that's coming. Um, I would just continue to tell people to to, to keep calling or, you know, wait when your time is up uh, to, to kind of call around for the vaccines. Um, but it certainly hasn't been a perfect rollout, that's for sure. Um, on the second uh, group, the anti-vaxxers, um, it's hard because many of the folks that we see in the hospital are, are, are unvaccinated. So, you know, we know that the vaccine can really decrease the chance of serious illness, like stays in hospital and ICU admissions by significant amount um, and so while they're not perfect and fail proof um, getting a vaccine is going to really dramatically reduce your risk and everyone else's risk to um, you know to, to get really sick and and I think you know sometimes with folks that if you don't want to get a vaccine you can't you can't reason with those those people but all we try to do is is to provide the facts as we know it um, and the research out there which the latest research says getting vaccinated is is a far safer thing to do than not with COVID. It's intriguing because the United States is encountering a similar problem in the second uh, sense. Uh, they obviously had many more vaccines available um, before Canada. Yeah. And I think there's- Well, been... they make their own. Well, exactly. So the, I think over 300 million people have had, uh, or 300 million vaccines have been um, administered in the United States. Mm-hmm. 10 times, more than 10 times. Yeah. What, what Canada has had. But the intriguing thing here, Haley, is that what we are hearing in the US is that it is primarily, not exclusively, but primarily Republicans who are in that second category of refusing to mm-hmm. take the vaccine. Is there, a, you know, where does that fit politically or economically or socially in Canada? Is there any commonality to the, to the list of people that are saying, I'm not getting the vaccine? Well, I, I, I'm not sure I haven't, I haven't talked to enough to do a poll on it, but I, I know that as of this morning, I just looked at 14.1 million vaccines have been distributed in Canada right now. So um, well, I guess about a third of our population, if, if you have it. And uh, I think a lot of that sentiment, I'm in Alberta. So what I see in Alberta from the anti-vaxxers is that crowd, I think, um, but not to put everyone in, in the same box. I also, you know, I also have like some of my friends and family, like some of my teammates text me and say, hey, should should I get the vaccine? Like, I don't know what to do. And, you know, should I get AstraZeneca? Should I get Pfizer, Moderna? Um, and my comment to people is, 
the first one that you can get is what you should get right now, mm -hmm. um, just because of the odds. But as far as uh, you know, what what an anti-vaxxer looks like, I think they come in all shapes and sizes right now, to be honest. And uh, you know, if if what I see in the hospital is any indication, but it's certainly the that uh, that type that gets the the media, I think, around it. Well, and I don't, I, I don't want to be presumptuous here, but you, you know, you you witness this kind of stuff. Are we wrong to assume that a significant percentage of those who have not been vaccinated and who um, are going to be reluctant to be vaccinated when they have the opportunity are the younger people? Um, we, yeah. we certainly yeah. know that they are the ones who are still gathering and we understand why, you know, if you're in college or you're in university, you're going to school, you want to, that whole experience. Um, they really haven't lived enough of a life, I guess, to understand how serious this might be. Although that even that's kind of a stupid thing to say, but, <laughs> but are they, are they at the kind of the top of the list as far as you're concerned? Of those no, that are I don't think so, actually. Really? I, I think in our research that we've done, this is our shot, what tends to be where, where the vaccine hesitant groups tend to be um, sort of different areas. So some of our indigenous population, uh, the black community, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy, the South Asian community, uh, you know, in the Peel region. Uh, there, they've done a lot of research and studies on that to show that there's significant vaccine hesitancy. Right. Yes, some of our youth, but quite frankly, I think when we saw AstraZeneca open up their age uh, categories, you saw like people flooded, the under 40s mm -hmm. flooded to, to get it. So I haven't, I wouldn't say it, it's youth at all. I think it's different pockets. And I think there's a variety of different reasons for that. I think um, many people uh, in those communities don't consume their media the same way that probably you and I do through sort of mainstream sources, they may look to their own countries for their media, for example. And some of those countries are, are quite frankly, anti-vaccine or using vaccines that have less than 50% eff efficacy. So there's that, um, there's a cultural burden barrier. Um, there's a huge mistrust of government in some of these communities. Um, so there's a lot of factors there that, that I think contribute to this and and that's with this is our shot I mean the South Asian uh, vac COVID vaccine had force out there in, in Peel is a group of doctors that have been working at this for months and they're saying you know we need mobile vaccine clinics we have to take the vaccines to the essential workers in the in the factories we need to go and do it and we just saw that out here in Alberta this week where a group of refugee refugee doctors went to a Cargill meat processing plant and distributed 1700 vaccines and it was wildly successful that to me is the way that we're going to stamp down the numbers in this country because that's where a lot of the outbreaks have been coming from. It's interesting. You you wonder uh, if um, the worst the worst part of the pandemic right now is is in India. Uh, yeah. You wonder if uh, the immigrants from India that live in our country, uh, who are a lot of them are now Canadian, uh, who as you say uh, get their media from India still. Uh, you wonder if the pandemic being as bad as it is there will help assist people here to get the vaccine, because it, it I mean the the Indian well, government declared the, the the Indian government declared the pandemic over in January. Yeah, yeah, and I think we all knew that this was coming. Um, at least everyone I talked to in medicine, um, just the density and the population of a country like India, and I think Nepal is now spiking, but. You know, per capita, the, the worst place in the world right now is actually Alberta. Per capita is actually our numbers are worse than India. Um, and so, uh, 
you know, I, I think it, you know, one of the things that I think I've seen in COVID is that until people that are hesitant or resistant, until they kind of see someone or know someone in their world that has had COVID or has gotten sick, they sometimes have a hard time believing it. And so as devastating as what has happened in India, like we're obviously trying to avoid that here in Canada, but um, you know, I, I, I don't know, I hope it, it's a wake up call for all of us, just how uh, incredibly transmissible these variants are and how quickly things can go sideways. We're fortunate. We have a health system so far that's held up, but they are just absolutely overwhelmed. Yeah. Why do you think, why do you think Alberta has spiked? Oh gosh, that's a million dollar question. I, there's so many factors. I, I think uh, the way that our that the government is first of all handled uh, shutdowns, um, you know, not getting vaccines to those who need it the most. We have, uh, you know, some of the the plants like Cargill, the meat processing plants up north in Fort McMurray. Grand Prairie is one of the hot spots in North America right now, um, just in terms of sort of oil and gas and the types of those types of communities that they are. I think there is quite a bit of uh, hesitancy or, or resistant uh, resistance. Um, and I don't think our measures have been strong enough. Yesterday, we just shut down schools for two weeks sent all the kids home from kindergarten to grade 12. And while the, those are very good things that happened, it's, it's probably too, it's late. It's late. We're going to see another few weeks of uh, quite significant spikes here. So uh, there's just, there's so many factors. Yeah. I, I, I wish I could say why, because then we, we could fix it. <laughs> Um, I assume that you, you've spent a fair bit of time um, in hospitals, obviously, uh, with your um, education process. I assume, though, that you're not working in a COVID ward. Is that true? Uh, that is true. Yeah, I don't work on a COVID ward. Um, however, I've been exposed to many, many COVID patients through the, through this year. Um, yes. Um, your aspiration is to work in an ER, ER room. Is that, is that still true? Yeah, I, I yes, I, I really like emergency medicine. And so in spending a lot of time in my electives um, in medicine, I, I, I chose to do most of those in emergency medicine. So I was in, uh, for example, I was in one of the hospitals that had Ontario's first COVID patient. I think I was there the night that that patient came in. So wow. um, yeah, so there's been some interesting experiences, you know, even in the family medic medicine clinic, uh, I was in a rural Alberta uh, hospital and I did a just a routine physical exam on a gentleman and found out two weeks later that he was COVID positive at that time and so I know that the PPE works I know that masking works and taking those measures works because I otherwise probably would have gotten COVID. I'm intrigued by the 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 attraction to the ER room and I would think you know if you if you if you aspire to a, spe um, um, a specific skill set yeah. Um, the variables that you have to deal with in terms of education and knowledge are, are, are tend to be narrower. Maybe they're, they're more exact, but they tend to be narrower. Mm -hmm. You're in an ER room, anything can walk in the door. Yeah. And you have to kind of have, know a little bit about everything. Am I wrong in that? No, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think emergency physicians are like family physicians. You've got to know exactly, as you said, a little bit about everything and then have the ability to really be, be able to think fast and work on your feet, which is what I like about it. And it's very similar to hockey. You know, you have a team, uh, everyone has an ego that has to be managed. <laughs> you know, you're, you got to make decisions quick. It's the, pre the stakes are far higher and, and very different, but 
um, you never know what's going to happen. That's what I loved about hockey too. Every time I stepped on the ice, I never knew what was, you know, what could happen. Um, so that, that kind of a adrenaline or intrigue about the, the emergency room is what, I, what I like and what I've always liked about it. I, I used to shadow in the emergency room the last probably eight years of my career. I would practice at Father David Bauer Arena and then I'd go over and work with a friend of mine who's an ER doc at the Foothills Hospital. So um, I knew early on that that was kind of the type of medicine that I liked and that's exactly what I like about it. Haley Wickenheiser is our guest, and um, since we've been talking about uh, COVID, it relates to the next topic that um, I want to discuss, and I know John does too, your position on the upcoming Tokyo Olympics. Uh, we'll address that when we continue after these messages. Bob McCowan, John Shannon with you on the uh, program today with um, Haley Wickenheiser. You have been very vocal about... Um, your position on the Summer Olympics, specifically in Tokyo. But we have to go back more than a year or a year uh, uh, when you became quite vocal about your opinion that the Olympics should not be held in Tokyo, the Summer Games, and that Canada should not send a team. And I believe about a week after you made your public statement, um, the COC decided not to send uh, a team in the event that the Olympics were going to be held. Do you feel the same way? I think I know the answer, but do you feel the same way about the Olympics, I think, upcoming in Tokyo? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, I, I think we still have a little bit of time before there's a hard call to say, you know, cancel the Olympics, but I just, <laughs> it's difficult, like given the fact what I've seen through the past year, uh, you know, so much suffering in the hospitals, the numbers in Japan, only 1.8% or so of the population vaccinated, their, their numbers are now on the rise again. It's very hard for me to imagine 15,000 people coming from about 170 plus countries to a country like Japan and to host a, a games that's going to be without cases. I think we know there will absolutely be cases. The question I think is why and what is the risk tolerance that the Japanese government and the IOC have to host a games like this? And even is it the right thing to do amongst sort of the suffering that we've that we've seen not only in Japan, but around the world. So I just struggle with it. I guess I come at it with a different lens. If I was an athlete, I would, I know myself, I would say I'm going at all costs, you know, I want to do mm. this. But you know, you you put on a bit of a different lens in the in the position that I'm in, and you see, you know, what's happening in the world, and you know, there isn't really too many folks I've talked to in medicine that think it's a good idea. So, I, I think if the numbers could dramatically reduce, it it may be possible. I, if there's any entity in the world that could pull it off, it is the IOC. But I just I really have I really have doubts about it. Is, so you talk about timeline. What 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 do you suggest the timeline would be before we're supposed to have the games by the middle of July? Yeah, I I, I sort of had said earlier, like the end by the end of May, we have to be able to make a call one way or the other on it. Um, I I think that the IOC is going to forge ahead no matter what. I'm just concerned at what the the costs may may be and the follow may be. And I've also said that you know if Canadian athletes are if the Olympics are going to happen. Canadian athletes are going, then they should be fully vaccinated and, and well in advance. Um, it, I think it's the least that, that we can do as a country to send these athletes over there. But 
um, I know there's, there's a lot of athletes that are like, I don't care. I'm going like, I probably would have had the mentality. And then there's a lot that have a lot of anxiety mm -hmm. and there's many events that still haven't finished their qualifiers yet. Uh, swimming, I think is one of them. And, um, there's a host of other track and field canceled an event. So it's, it's a bit of a dumpster fire for sure. And I'm just not sure how they're going to pull it all off. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, why not just, why wouldn't we just pull out? Why, if it's about, if it's about the safety of, in the end, it's about the safety of everyone, but yeah. you know, as Canadians, we have to be worried more about Canadians first. Yeah. Uh, why wouldn't we just say, okay, let's not go for the safety of our athletes. Well, I have to believe and trust that we would, if it got to that point. I mean, I think the COC was the first country in the world when I it was sort of sound the cry last year to make the call. And I, and I know that they will do the right thing because when I had sent that tweet, I, I had had a conversation uh, just shortly after with Mark Tewksbury and Becky Scott, people that two athletes that I respect a lot at the IOC level. And shortly after then, Tricia Smith, who's the president of the Canadian Olympic Committee, and it wasn't a hard argument. It was just, you know, the, the, the way in which they wanted to approach it was different than the way that I did being a large entity. So I think there's been a lot of careful consideration around this. I've certainly talked to the COC a number of times and uh, I think they're just trying to, to balance everything and weigh the safety measures. And obviously I don't know what changes day to day in, uh, on the ground in, in Tokyo. We have to trust, I guess, that our Canadian doctors and officials wouldn't put our athletes into harm's way, but I guess I have to, you know, I feel that I have to ask the questions so that, you know, to, to keep that accountability because the, the games is big money, politics, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Just one, Bob, just one more. Haley, do you, do you think the IOC is receptive to a lot of voices like yours? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, um, uh, you know, the IOC is not a democracy in my opinion. It's, um, you know, with the last time I spoke up, I, I quickly got a call from uh, Secretary General saying, how could you do that? Um, and mm -hmm. my response to him was, I think history will tell us what the right answer is. But I knew that I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't make any change by just trying to keep it internal, because it would just be brushed aside, and they were going to do what they were going to do. And so um, I think part of my reason for speaking up was to say, you know, it, it like something needs to change. And that was the only way I knew how, but they do not uh, receive dissenters or alternative opinions all that kindly at the IOC level, which really bothers me about it. Um, and it's something that's um, totally wrong with the culture of the IOC and the way in which it operates. But you still have a role, right? You, you, yeah, I you do. still have. I've been elected uh, IOC member, so I get a I get a full vote on where the games go. And as part of the athletes commission, there's, uh, well, I don't know, 16 or so of us. Um, that's a lot of votes on where the Olympics can go. And so um, I just, I think that there's a few brave souls within the IOC. I would say Trisha Smith is one of them. She gets up there as the president of the Canadian Olympic committee. She asks a lot of tough questions. She advocates well, but um, there's not, there's not as many of those within the IOC. Uh, for clarity, the possibility of a Canadian team not going to the Olympics, in your opinion, it will could happen because the COC decides to make that decision, not because the IOC will make the decision to cancel the games. Is that accurate then? It could. I mean, the COC could say we're not sending a team. Yes. Yeah, it could happen. Um, here's the other question. Um, 
who runs in this country um, the distribution of vaccines? Uh, the acquisition is the, is the responsibility, I understand, of the federal government, and the provincial government is supposed to assign, you know, where, how, how, do we, how do we get them out there? You got athletes from across the country. You've got um, a whole bunch of different jurisdictions in a whole bunch of different places. Um, uh, emotionally, I don't mean geographically, I mean emotionally, they're, they're trying to figure it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Can we guarantee that every Canadian athlete, if they go to Tokyo, will be fully vaccinated? And who well, makes that decision? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And that's that's the problem. I think it'll have to be uh, federal government working with the COC decision. I imagine that a good chunk of our athletes probably have already had a vaccine just because in certain parts of the country, 18 plus is open, for example, to AstraZeneca and, and in, in certain provinces, etc. So I hope that by the end of May, every person that's 18 plus in this country is going to have a chance to get a vaccine and maybe we don't need to mandate that but that would be something that the federal government um would would have to do i think and just say mm-hmm. to every olympian and, and entourage staff heading over uh, we are going to vaccinate or allocate so many doses to the coc to distribute i'm not sure the right the right way or how to do it but i don't think it's rocket science to figure it out there's several hundred people um and it'd be quickly pretty easy to mobilize that this this uh, leads me to what we've seen in the other sport you're famous for, and is and that is the the women's game, and what went on around Halifax, um, with the premiers taking a lot of flack. Uh, some of your friends have taken lots of flack. Some of your friends have given lots of flack. Um, uh, where do you stand on what the the province of Nova Scotia did with the world's the women's world championship? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, kind of looking at it from the outside in, it it truly looked like bad timing. I think that the province actually did the right thing. Um, They had a mini explosion of cases. They've been essentially COVID zero or very low cases for a very long time. And literally the day before the event, they had this spike in cases and then another large spike in cases. And I don't think people outside of maybe medicine <laughs> hard to understand what that means but um i i stand with the premier i think that uh the province probably did the right thing and all, and yes it it sucked for the world championships um but it's very difficult to bring people from all over the world in and and in a bubble like that and and say that there would be no cases and you know, I, I think politically, had there been a case come out of that women's worlds, that's suicide for the premier to say, okay, well, we're going to stop travel from everyone else and then host this event that's coming from around the world. So if you really look mm-hmm. at it from a lot of different angles, I think they kind of had no choice. And the spike in the cases, um, you know, given that they've been very consistent in all of their measures throughout COVID and, and one of the provinces that's really nailed it from the start, uh, in terms of lockdowns. I mean, they stayed true to what they've always done and you have to respect that. You also have to respect the transmissibility of these variants and the position that our country is in right now. So, I I mean, I can't fault them. I know that people are upset. Um, They'll get their worlds, you know, whenever in August. Well, it sounds like it's going to be in your. It sounds like going to be in your town right now. It's going to be in Calgary in August. So yeah, that's what I'm hearing. So <laughs> makes sense. We're pretty wide open here. Why not? Well, and there's no there's no doubt that um, being in a bubble has helped in uh, in terms of sport. Um, we've seen that in um, in basketball. Uh, we saw it in hockey. 
um, last year in the National Hockey League. The, and, and the minute you get out of the bubble, you're, you're in a whole different environment. Mm-hmm. But the bubble isn't, is imperfect too. And you can attest to that, speaking of your hometown. You've had about, I don't know, eight, 10 months of consecutive curling events Mm-hmm. in uh in calgary that's a lie of course it's been a month or it feels weeks. like that only it only fe- i was gonna say it feels like that here like one after another after another after another these people never oh. go home yeah and 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 uh but there there have been a couple of uh outbreaks even there in the bubble yeah and um so there's no perfect system and, no there isn't uh, no and no even reasons- uh you know Sorry. with my my role with the Leafs, going to the rink every day i get Mm-hmm. a rapid test i get a pcr test um there's still been you know there's still been cases i mean i think when you're in a bubble what happens is you're able to catch it sooner and you can tamp down an outbreak hopefully um, before it, it spreads through the team unless you're the vancouver canucks where it's just super bad luck that way but it's still like i like i say the uh, transmissibility of these variants right now or it's so contagious it doesn't take much and in, in you as you saw with vancouver the whole team so there's no perfect there's no perfect setup. And I think people wanting to protect the health of, you know, their province, their population, you can't fault them at this point for doing that. Uh, before we let you go, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about um, a situation that has uh, caught everybody's attention the last few days. Uh, and that's the Tom Wilson situation. Um, and I assume you're aware of it. And uh, I, I guess you've seen the video um, as a hockey person. And I'm <laughs> yeah, intrigued. happened, but okay. <laughs> Well, but I, I'm I, actually, I'm intrigued as a, as research. a doc, as a doctor too. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, you know, a player gets hurt in, um, in a, an altercation, a, um, a punch is thrown at a defenseless player. And, but more specifically in the case of Wilson, the issue is that um, he is not just a repeat offender. He is an habitual offender. Um, and those two, those two words are very different. And I think they're important in society and they're important in, in, in this scenario too. Do you have an opinion on whether, whether an athlete who repeats actions over and over and over again, that are considered finable and suspendable because he's been suspended a number of times, can you get to the point where it's too much? Yeah, well, in speaking in general terms, because I, I truly actually haven't seen the video, but I did see the the statement um, that the Rangers made and some of the sort of talk about it. And I know Tom Wilson's passed a little bit. So, yeah, um, I, you know, I think at some point there there isn't uh, room for that in sport. You know, Tom Wilson aside, just any athlete, the, the repeat type offender that's been multiple, you know, fines and, and hand slaps and things like that at some point, um, the, the sport has to police itself and say, do we want this type of behavior within the sport or not? And so what's the, what's the threshold for that? I, I think in sport, these instances aren't, you know, one off, they should be looked at as a cumulative, you know, almost track record or resume for a player. And, and uh, in his case, he definitely has quite a few of those. So I know people were upset. It was like a $5,000 fine, I think for it. And uh, it seems it seems pretty low considering what what's happened in the past. So um, yeah, you got to wonder um, what the criteria here is. And also like the integrity of the sport and the safety of the athletes. I think no athlete goes out there to get hurt. You know that you could, and you take that risk happily, 
but you don't go out there willingly knowing that someone's out there to try to hurt someone else. I, I just don't think that that's part of pro sport or any sport really. Uh, it's the debate that has raged for many years um, in, mm -hmm. in your sport and um, uh, will continue to rage. Um, even though the game is much less, I want to say much less physical, but it, it's a lot less fighting than there, yeah. than there has been. And I think we we're, we all endorse that. I assume you do. Don't you? Oh yeah, I think the game's better off. I mean, I don't think that the game has suffered because we don't see guys fighting. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if there's a fight here and there, I mean, I'm, so you know, I played with a lot of emotion. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm okay with that if it sort of naturally happens, but it's rare, and that sort of keeps the interest of it in the game. But we don't need fighting in hockey, I don't think, to have a great product. Um, I'm not sure if I'm if I should or or can call you uh, Dr. Wickenheiser at this point in time, <laughs> but I, I'm pretty sure the next time we have a chance to chat, and I hope there will be, um, I'll be able to address you as such, and I promise I will. Uh, we wish you uh, continued uh, success and health, good health. Yes. And, uh, uh, you know, as somebody in the medical field now, be careful out there. <laughs> it's a dangerous place. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Pleasure to chat. Thanks, Haley. Thanks, Doc. All right. Uh, Thanks, guys. Haley Wickenheiser. We'll be back after these. It's Bob McCowan. It's uh, John Shannon. Mm. Again, our thanks. You know, it's been 20, tw been 20 years since Haley played in that men's uh division two league in finland 20 oh, yeah. years God. Well, she played hockey for uh internationally for 23 yeah. years i think yeah like that's yeah. that's kind of ridiculous she was but she was like 16 17 when she started i think yeah yeah there it, the interesting thing with her is that she, she has i mean t to me i'm always impressed with her ability uh, to speak her mind, you know, there's, you know, this is a sport that always has, um, you know, the, the, you know, the, the normal quotes, the silly quotes, the, you know, uh, you know, you know, quote unquote pucks in deep conversations. You never get that with Haley Wickenheiser. Mm -hmm. You know, she, you know, she told us that the IOC is stubborn. She told us that Nova Scotia did the right thing. Lots of people would dance around those and she's involved in women's hockey and she's involved with the IOC and, and lots of people would dance around those answers in order to try to protect themselves. But she has, she has the, you know, the, the courage uh, and the honesty to speak directly to issues. And I, I, I admire her completely for that. I thought the issue of the Olympics uh, from a COC perspective and the athletes perspective um, really is an intriguing one. Um, Personally, I, 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 if somebody had asked me, do you think Canada should send our, our athletes to Japan for um, the Tokyo Games? I would have said, I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think the, the risk is too high. And, you know, the one thing we haven't seen that I, I could be wrong here. We've seen athletes get COVID, many. Mm-hmm. Have we seen an athlete in true distress um, admitted to a hospital because of COVID? I'm not sure I've seen that story yet. And I wonder if their physical fitness has, I assume it has something to do with it. But what if, what if you send the athletes to Tokyo? What if there's an outbreak? What if one of them gets seriously ill? 
and God forbid, passes away. Um, or even, I mean, the other thing we don't talk an awful lot about is those people who have gotten COVID. There are many who have who have had it who had it a year ago and still have not recovered. But but but, but the, the, big, all- the bigger sure. But the bigger issue, Bob, as well is, um, and it, more so with with these variants. And I am not a doctor, but if you look at all of the charts, is how the logarithms and how the geometric transmission of these variants with COVID occur so that one person becomes 200 people within a day. And that that's, I, in many ways, that's the biggest issue of all. Well, is that's the that frightening it, part. That, right? that, that athlete may be, may, have, may be asymptomatic, but passes it to enough people that those people aren't. And, and, and those people become the issue. Uh, I was surprised when she mentioned that uh, Japan has only uh, less than 2% people have vaccinations. Yeah, that's shocking. I mean, we give, we give the Japanese a ton of credit for being much hey. more progressive at times than we are. Yeah. And that was a shock to me that less than 2% of Japanese have received a vaccination at this point. Well, it is not. It has not been uncommon in that part of the world to see people wearing face masks even before COVID uh, happened. Sure, uh, I remember. Listen, I was. I was in I was, my the, my first trip to Japan was in 1997, and I would tell you that uh, one out of five people on the street then wore masks. There you go. Oh, yeah, but well, that was for obvious. pollution. That was for pollution more than anything. Exactly. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Um, but you, you saw nobody do that in, uh, in North America at that time. We uh, looked at those we people like they were weird. Yeah. You know? Before we go, would you send Canada's athletes to Tokyo? Uh, if you can assure me that it's 98% safe, the answer you is can't. yes. You'll never be able to do well, it. Then, I, th- then I'm going to have to think about it. And by the way, we're, I, I, I regret having to cut her off because I want to know about Beijing right. too. What do we do in Beijing? We got another Olympics in February of 2022. Yeah, it's not and, that far away. And with a lot of indoor sports where the and with and and with, and with a lot more po- and, and other political issues involved in China as well, in addition to the pandemic. We, we got to go. We uh, thank you for uh, listening again. Our thanks to Haley Wickenheiser. Uh, we'll uh, see you again tomorrow. Goodbye.